We'll pick it up in James chapter 3 and we'll go around 12 verses and it will get us to a midpoint in the book of James to where we will be able to press pause for four weeks uh, so that we can just kind of look into uh, the season of Advent as we kind of get a glimpse of the king that was being anticipated in the Old Testament and then the king that we are anticipating here in 2023. James chapter 3, let me adjust this joker right here, verse number 1. Now what you'll find as we read this is just more uh, sort of a test as it were to seem that James has been giving us, right? It's been like, if you have this true faith in Christ, here's what it looks like. This test is going to be one where it seems like none of us are going to pass, okay? But if you just hang tight, there's going to be a little bit of hope in this somewhere as we filter through this text. So, James chapter 3, verse 1, and a lot of people are going to be saying, oh me, when we are done. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. That's when the church should have said amen right there. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his own whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is yet a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life instead on fire by hell. <laughs> I don't know why I emphasize it like that. It's kind of weird. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If you made it through without feeling the condemnation, good for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just pray, God, that you would help us with this text. We pray, God, that you would um, sharpen our minds, make our hearts, and open up our hearts to the word that you have for us, Lord. And God, above all things, we ask that you would be glorified. And we ask that, God, that people would be uh, drawn closer to you through this, Lord, in my desire, and my desire every Sunday is that when we leave this room, 
that we won't see anything that was a spectacle or we won't see, oh, that guy was good or that person did well on this, but that we would all have unison in our decree. Look how glorious our Christ and Savior is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I can think of one occasion where sticking out your tongue is acceptable uh, and legitimate. And, and I'm sure you're already thinking as a child, when you went to the doctor, he would tell you, stick out your tongue and do what? Say, ah. It's a sort of a test that the doctor would do to see what was wrong with you. If you had a sore throat, you go in and he says, stick out your tongue. And he puts the thing, the little... Uh, whatever, the popsicle stick. All right, I don't know if you've been eating the popsicle stick before he put the stick in. We hope that's not the case. But he puts the thing on your tongue and it's sort of a diagnostic test to see what's wrong. Is there something internally? Is there something wrong with your mouth or with your throat or with your tongue? And to the extent of what is happening in a physical terms, this passage to which we now turn to confronts us with this same uh, unmistakably with the fact that there is also a spiritual diagnostic test that James gives us, and it's with none other than your mouth, your tongue. Because our tongue says something about our spiritual condition. Our tongue says something about who we are on the inside, the words that we speak, the words that we say, the words that we are either negatively speaking or positively speaking, it speaks to who we are on the inside. In fact, that's what Jesus would have said in Gospel of Matthew. James has already introduced the tongue. If you haven't already, you've been with us through the book of James. You've already noticed that James has talked about the tongue for quite some time. In fact, he made the statement in his opening chapter, in verse 26, he says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In fact, James gives us almost like a test of whether or not we have true faith in Christ. Towards the end of that chapter, when he outlines marks of a true believer, you remember this when he says that true religion, right? There is a such thing as a true religion. True religion is one that has a compassionate heart uh, for those who are in need. An uncompromised testimony is the framework of a culture that is opposed to the things of Christ. And then, and then perhaps the most impactful thing and the most thing that gets us all would be the last part. And it's the matter of a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. And now James is going to sort of expound upon this in quite detail. And he does so, and as he has done, by giving us quite the illustrations uh, that he says. Before he gives us these illustrations, he talks about what it means for those who are going to be teachers in a church and how they ought to not be seeking out this thing because, uh, because they will be, um, he says in verse number one, that you shouldn't be become teachers because, you know, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then from verse three, you find this picture graph, I guess is what I see in my head, uh, that you see horses and you see boats 
And then you see the circus farm of all sorts of things and forests and trees and fires. And and James does a really good job of giving us a lot of illustration. And he explains this by way of illustration and application as a masterful way to express his lesson. James is a great pastor in this. Now, I have a few thoughts that I want to give you just for maybe five if I have time. We'll see. The first in which is that the tongue, well, we'll just go for the tongue is small but powerful. That's kind of simple, right? It's small but powerful, makes that point quite clear. Second thought is that the tongue is uh, very difficult to tame. Okay, makes that pretty clear. And then the third thing, and maybe a fourth thing, we may get to it. The tongue reveals more about us than a lot of us would care to admit. That the tongue reveals a lot about us, and I ain't saying you, I'm saying me, us, than a lot of us would care to admit. Now, just by way quickly of just passing through some of these uh, quickly, the tongue is small but powerful. Games, James, games. James gives us a very powerful illustration. In verse 5, he reaches the application only after he's used a couple of illustrations. Consider, he says, right? The way that the individual puts a bit into the mouth of a horse And as a result, this large creature can be tamed. And then he moves on from the horse. And you say, well, yeah, I get that. You get the bridle in there and 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 it tames the horse and it controls the direction of the horse. James is like, okay, if you don't get the, the whole illustration of a horse, let's talk about boats. And then he says, take a ship. Incidentally, the Greeks often used horses and ships in agricultural and nautical metaphors in order to make points. James picks up upon a lot of the Greeks' language in doing this. And so we have this tiny rudder that controls really big boats. We have the thing that's in the horse's mouth that controls this massive animal. And he makes this... Comparing, contrasting, pretty clear, right? Likewise, you have this, compared to the body, okay? You have this tiny part of your body, hidden, hidden part of your body that is small compared to the rest of your body. Yet it has some of the most power that you can think of. And history will record to us about the power of the tongue. Wars that have been fought over words that were spoken. Changes in history that were made because of words that were spoken by powerful people. And we go back to my boy, who I keep going back to, and maybe it's a sign that you ought to be reading about this guy, William Wilberforce, who by the words spoken by him was that which was able to eradicate the slave trade. And just think about the words, not only that, were, that were, have been spoken that have, that have caused great destruction, but the powerful words that have caused peace, that the words have caused the opposite of wars. Opposite of, direct, uh, of destruction. 
Words that were brought about the world that were to better the world. You see the point James is making now? This tiny little muscle in your mouth, in your body, has the power to destroy and it has the power to bring peace. And I don't have to point out the many ways that you've run your mouth in your own home to tell you and for you to say, oh yeah, that was me. Or maybe you're the sanctified person and was like, oh yeah, that was my spouse running their mouth. They shouldn't have been running their mouth. And the amount of devastation that your mouth has brought about in your own household, words that you said that you wished and you went back and said, man, that was the dumbest thing. If you are a very self-retro, you can kind of guide your own self and look at your own self and say, wow, that was really stupid. I should not have said that. Or maybe you are unaware and you just don't care. For you, that would mean that you need to repent of your hard-headedness. The words that you've said to your children, that you say, maybe I shouldn't have said that. The words that you've said to co-workers, that you've said, I shouldn't have said that. This is the point that James is making. This tiny little thing in your body is that of this tiny little piece to a massive boat that controls the direction of it. This tiny little thing that goes into a horse's mouth and yet it controls the direction that this massive animal goes. James says, listen, that's, that's what our problem is. We have a big problem. We have a tiny tongue and a very big problem, James says. So he says that the tongue is small but powerful. And then look what he, he goes into the next thing, that it's almost humanely impossible to tame. It's almost humanely impossible to tame. That brings us right here when he, and, and I think some of you get that, right? Some of you are like, oh yeah, I know, my, I can't control my mouth. Verse number eight, no man can tame his tongue. Now, if there were ever any like encouragement in the Bible, you would be like, can we get like some encouragement ASAP after this? I mean, you read this verse and you're like, well, what is the hope in this? If I can't control my mouth, my wife can't control my mouth. We all know my wife can't control her mouth. If you can't control your mouth, what? She ain't here so I can say that. What are we going to do? You can't tame it. We can't control it. What are we to do? And again, he gives us these little illustrations here. And at some point when I was reading through this and studying, I was like, enough of the illustrations. I get it. I'm a depraved person with no hope. Thanks, pastor. Way to encourage the saints of God. Because look what he says. It's a fire. A fire. You get that? Not a nice, warm, cozy fire, but a spark that ignites a forest fire, that kind of fire. And you're just like, wow, thanks. A fire, a world of evil. Not just a world of evil that is untamable, but keep, like you just keep pressing into this verse. A restless evil. A restless evil that what? 
is full of poison. So it's like the metaphors, the illustrations aren't enough. And you didn't get what kind of person that you really were. James wants to put the nail in the coffin for everyone. That your mouth is poisonous. And it is a spark that causes a forest flame. Everybody feel good already? No? Good. You're in good company. It doesn't seem nice at all at first. This tongue, he says, is a fire. is a world of evil among the parts of your body. You know, I thought about that. Like, what in the world does he mean by world of evil? That seems a little hyperbolic in nature, doesn't it there, Pastor James? James seems to mean that by this, that every sort of evil found in the world finds its ally in an uncontrolled tongue. Think about all of the evil, right, that has been done in the world. At the root of it was somebody's horrible, poisonous words that were spoken that caused that evil, right? That caused the friction in your home. What caused that? It was the words that were spoken. What causes the breakups? What causes the marriages to collapse? What causes children to hate their parents? What causes parents to hate their children? Come on now. What causes you to want to lose, find another job? And I'm sure we can diagnose many other problems, but at the root of it, James says, we got a tongue problem and a mouth problem. Now let me think of it along with the line for just a moment that can offer us a bit of rest for just a second because I, if you felt like that was really heavy, then that's an accurate feeling to feel. But by way of what is the thing that we're in search for then, right? This is the question as I'm wrestling through this text. What's the question then that I need to be asking myself in this text what is the solution? What are the words then that I need to be speaking? If James says that there's something wrong with the condition of a person and at the root of that condition is an untamed tongue, then we have to ask the question then, what are the words that we ought to be speaking? Well, James kind of illustrated a little bit more in chapter uh, 1 verse 8. 18, I almost said 13, that was like ghetto, like coming out, I'm from Georgia and like that little ghetto talk came up, 8, 13, um, it's like Medea, I don't even know, anyway, there's a black woman that lives inside of me, anyway, okay, so, so, there, so, um, I identify as a man though, um, but anyway, so in verse 18, if you remember the word of truth, like what brought about salvation to, <laughs> what brought about salvation to the church that he was talking to. What was it? It was the word of truth. It was the word, that gift of God, that grace, that mercy, that truth of the gospel that penetrated their hearts. It was that truth that illuminated their minds and their eyes so that once they were blind, now they can see the truth. Likewise, what is it then we are after that we ought to be speaking the truth. But there's problems 
if you know your Bible. In Romans chapter 1, what do we want instead of the truth? We've been fooled. We've been fooled. And, and, so, and so Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 concerning idolatry, sexual immorality, greed, envy, murder, and deceit, strife, all kinds of malice. You'll discover that, that all of that ugly list is a product of what? Saying, I don't want the truth, but I've given into lies. Right? Isn't that the kind of the, uh, like Paul gives like this universal indictment and like the problem with the world, the problem that we're facing in Rome, the problem that we're facing in 2023 is that we forsook the truth and exchanged the truth for a lie. And so there's, there's a bit of warning for us that we as believers, we are called to one truth, Okay. Now, this is unpopular, but I'm going to say it anyway, only because we're already here with like a lot of offensive language. I might as well go ahead and go for the jugular. That some of us do not want to accept that there is only one truth. But the Bible would be against that to suggest that there is not an absolute truth. No, there's one capital T truth, and it is the word of God. And that then, right, ought to be what we are speaking is the point that I'm making here. And that the point that I see and the question that I begin to ask myself as I was studying through this, uh, this particular section of scripture, like, well, if all we're doing is just, you know, spreading fires and, and shooting poisonous words, then what's the solution? What ought to we be speaking as Christians? And the answer lies Earlier on in the chapter, in, in the book, it's the truth. It's the truth. And you got like this set on fire by hell. Man, that's some, that's, some, that's some crazy illustration. Like your words are set on fire by hell. Let me give you just like a few words that set our tongue on fire by hell. And, and maybe this is some of us, and maybe it's not. Maybe you are the person that, that James says, unless you're the perfect person. Right? That's, that, at that point, like, you, you're dismissed. Like, you could stand up right now. If you were that perfect person, you can stand up and you can leave right now because, like, you're like, none of this applies to me. Oh, nobody wants to stand up? Yeah, because that person doesn't exist. That's the point that James was making. And so, so since we all are in this conundrum, what are some of these words that set our tongue on fire by hell? Well, obviously, I, I, I think of just simple things like gossip. Saying things that ain't got nothing to do with you. Right? Starting rumors. This is one that I have to struggle, that I struggle with biting sarcasm. That's that's me right there, Barty and sarcasms like like that's that's some that's some tough stuff that I, I need to put a check in my own heart. Taking cheap shots at other people. Right? When somebody's hurting or when somebody's going through something, we take that as an opportunity just to kick them down. 
right? Always focusing on the negative, you know, negative Natalie. Have you met that person before? Maybe that's you. Always seeing like just negative things in every circumstance. Your perspective of life is just negative and you speak the negative language. Before too long, James says, having toyed with our thoughts and played with our words, we will follow with our deeds and our whole life then will be set on fire. We know that this comes from only one source, the father of lies as Jesus illustrates who Satan is in the gospel of John. We know that he is a roaring lion seeking those to devour. We know that Satan is the restless one in Job chapter 1. Remember God comes to Satan or, or God says to Satan, where have you been? And he's restless. He says, I've been roaming around looking for someone that I can trip up and that I can deceive He's the slithering snake in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 that got Eve to question the authority of God's word that said, did God really say this? You see, my brothers and sisters, there's just one tactic that I have found in the Bible that Satan is very consistent with. And it's the tactic that he'll get every single one of you to question the authority of God's word. And he'll say it like this. Well, did God really mean it like that? Did God really say that? The tongue is like an unguarded campfire. One spark in the whole hillside is ablaze. And then the tongue in verse 7 is like a zoo or a circus. You got all these animals here and yet... History has proven in some sense we can tame animals. I'm not a circus guy. Now that may be hard to believe. I'm not even a zoo person. The smell's kind of horrendous. But you go to a circus and maybe you see the giant elephant get up on a stool and like do his weird little thing. Now, I'm not really into that kind of stuff. But that's pretty impressive that we can tame and train a large beast to do that. And yet, and yet, James says, you can't even control your tongue. Now, that's all the bad news. Actually, there's a little bit more when it says what the tongue actually reveals. This is my third thought. The tongue the tongue. It's powerful. It seems very impossible to tame. What are we going to do? Like this seems like there's no hope in this. And thoroughly the tongue reveals more about us than we care to admit. Sadly, says James, if, if you're paying attention, the praises of God are not all that our lips are declaring. With the same mouth that we use to praise God, the same mouth we use to tear down our brothers and sisters in what James describes as those who are image bearers of our creator. 
In other words, we can come to church on a Sunday and we can sing praises or we can say amen and we can shout hallelujah. That's a good preaching right there. Uh, but none of y'all do that. Uh, okay. And so we could do all of these things with our lips. We praise the Lord. We pray with him. We pray and we say hallelujah. Amen. And then we walk out the door unchanged because our lips are then still tearing down our brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God. How is that possible? Oh, James says it's very possible. Because you've got an untamed animal that is unleashed in your life. The glaring inconsistency with you praising God with one mouth and you, you shouting down your brother and sister with the next lies in the fact that when we insult and when we denigrate someone else in one sense, we are praising and denigrating the same object. Because James makes that comparison quite clear. You're praising God with your mouth, but then you're in the next one, you are, you are cursing the, the people that are made in the image of God. The point that James is making, like that is just as offensive as it is if you just were to curse God. His creation. You better be, you better be careful, James says. And he's confronting each of his readers with the fact that our tongues say more. Our tongues say is more than matched by what our heart thinks. And so the, the, the solution then and the question that we have to ask ourselves, because that was pretty heavy, right? And you made it through the kick in the shins. What are we going to do? Right? <laughs> like some of y'all just read and y'all just looked through all that and you're like, well, it seems like we're all hopeless and we all, all just ought to just leave here and... The solution is, is that we have the doctor sew our mouth together. Is that what we're really after? I don't think so. Well, I mean, what are we going to do? Like, just like, this will be the most silent you guys have ever been when we say amen and close the service. <laughs> you'll be just too afraid to say anything. You're just... And then for the rest of the day, your, your, your spouse will be like, can we not speak? And you're just going to say, no. Is that what we're supposed to do? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's, it seems like a complete and utter waste of time. What do we need to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. Because I'll tell you what I had to do. I had to go back to the word of God. And I had to begin to speak the goodness of God. And to begin to speak what Psalm 51, God, here's the solution, and it's not you, and it's God. What, what the psalmist says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Change my heart, O Lord, and my tongue will follow. Change me from the inside. That's what we're going to do. And if you felt the heaviness that James, not Matthew, like, this is just me. I'm just talking through this, okay? That's all I'm doing. And if you felt like there was such a weight that was put upon you, let me tell you something. It's put upon me. But the Bible would not leave you 
For you just to rest in your guilt, rest in your shame, rest in this kind of unknowingness of what are we supposed to do? The solution then is what? It's the truth of God's word. It's relying and trusting in God and God alone. That's the solution. And if you find yourself hopeless, what are you to do? You are to trust God, you are to pray what, what the psalmist prayed. God, create in me a clean heart. Change my mind, God. Transform my thinking. Transform my thoughts. Cleanse my heart, oh God. You see what's happening? It's, it's a more of a, a reliance on the Holy Spirit, reliance on God and the truth of his word. And, and, and that's how you'll get through this. Just a, a, a couple of, of quick points, and then I'll, I'll pray, and you'll probably never come back again because you'll think, well, wow, that's just, I don't know how I can do this. Well, I, I think from reading this, I could, just, I could just pick out a few things that are pretty obvious, right? One would be just to be thoughtful in our process, in our thinking before we speak. How you can tame your tongue, you want to know how you can do that? You can use your brain. Let's start there. You could possibly think, is what I'm about to say, all right, now this, is a, this is common sense, okay? Is what I'm about to say going to uplift the person or is it going to tear them down? And if the answer is B, then James says, you better be careful because you're about to start a fire. Just think. Think before... You speak. Another one is to be consistent. Be consistent. Let your words match your faith. And I got to be straight with you. That's the whole point of what James is making here. Again, he's going back to this whole idea of what true religion you'll be marked by as a believer of Christ. You want to be, hey, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. Then, then you have to have some sense of family resemblance. And the family resemblance is, is that I'm going to be consistent with my words and my deeds. Right? Do, do, my, do my words match my actions? Do my actions match my words? And then thirdly, I think that this is the most, I, I would encourage you. I'm not an egotistical person. and never suggest people to write down things I say, but I would tell you, you ought to write this down. You need to watch your delivery. It is about truth and grace. We got a lot of truth speakers in Christian culture. And the problem with that is that the more you just, you throw out truth, and I'm just going to be Mr. Bold in my truth, you know what you end up looking like? A turd. A polished turd. Because if there is, welcome to church, if there is no grace Without the truth, with the truth, like if you have just said, I'm going to forget grace and I'm just going to be Mr. Truth because you know what? I've got something to say. You know, because everybody's been dying to hear it. By the way, they have it and they likely don't even care. Well, they just need to hear it from somebody, you know? And like you ain't got no grace with it. You've lost like 
You've lost the battle. And then don't be, don't be sitting here thinking you've gotten out of here uh, hands-free. There's some of you just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to go all grace. And you know what? We're not going to, we don't want to sprinkle in the truth because we don't want to, you know, we don't want them to run away. We, we don't want to offend nobody. And we're just going to be all grace and all love. <laughs> Again, you've, you have totally missed the mark. Let our words be consistent. Let them match our actions. May we be a people who are using our brains for crying out loud. And above all, may we be a church that's been marked by the truth that we're speaking in the grace of our Lord Jesus. With that, I'll pray.